0: Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with award-winning New York City jazz singer, composer, and arranger, Danielle Wirtz. We got into her new 2023 album, Other Side, and much more. She is a singer on the rise, weaving together elements of jazz folk, and the use of her voice as an instrumental texture to create an intimate and personal musical world. After being named a 2015 Thelonious Monk International Jazz Vocals Competition semifinalist, she independently released her debut album called Interstellar. The momentum continues. Enjoy this interview.
1: Before we get into your album, Other Side, I want to kind of address COVID. The last three years was quite small to us, not only for everybody, but really the artist community and the jazz community. And I'm wondering how you survived that time period and how it subsequently has changed the way that you live your life and you approach music now.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a big one. Um, I mean, how I how I got through that time period was a lot of different resources. I mean, at first, I mean, and there are, you know, it's like emotionally and financially, how do you get through as a musician? <laughs> I think, of course, like I finally accessed unemployment maybe in June of 2020, and that was super helpful in terms of just having some source of, Steady income to count on as the as the calendar was cleared through the end of the year um, and interestingly enough, you know emotionally i I actually kept a lot of my voice students um a lot of folks pivoted to just virtual zoom lessons instead of canceling and it was it's sort of one of those things where like you know if you're gonna be if you're gonna be a great educator, you have to keep you know, what you're teaching sort of up to snuff, you know what I mean? And so I'm like still teaching every day kind of kept me in a routine of practicing and taking good care of myself. And like it, it really, I was like, if I'm going to show up for my students wholly and fully at this time, I really need to make sure that I'm, you know, showing up for myself as a musician and as a person wholly and fully in this time. So um that was super helpful. Um, and yeah, there were a lot of virtual concerts, live streams I did a couple of zoom concerts, and I you know remembering two years ago i I did a Valentine's Day live stream from an empty venue where folks could send in pictures of the couple and request a song and all that sort of stuff, so you know there were there were things that that kept us going. I lived seven minutes from a national forest, and so I spent a lot of time taking walks in that forest. <laughs>
1: Talk to me a little bit about Other Side, like when did you put this together and kind of how it feels now that we're watching things wake up, live music's happening, things are kind of waking up in a way that we've been waiting for.
2: Yeah, I mean, the whole process of this record has been so unique and and difficult all at once. Um before the pandemic happened, I had a recording session planned for June of 2020 and I actually had planned on recording a record of a record of like way more just traditional straight ahead vocal music. Like it, you know, it was, um, a bunch of arrangements of mine, a tune or two, but they were pretty in the straight ahead realm. Um, and as the world fell apart and, you know, it was pandemic and, police brutality and wildfires and it was just like one thing, the political climate, like one thing on top of another just felt like everything was crumbling. I really did not resonate at that time with the music that I had planned on recording. And so the next year, year and a half for me was this whole process of, you know, asking myself like, why doesn't this music, why is this music not cathartic for me? What music is cathartic for me? What kind of record do I want to make? Like I, I really always am trying my best to make the music that I want to hear. Um, and at that time, it was, you know, straight ahead music was the music that I couldn't even be making because there were no venues um, doing hosting any music. So the process of, of making that record really asked me over and over and over again to sort of turn toward myself instead of ignoring what was hard and and kind of ask myself, like, why does this arrangement not resonate? What does it need? And often it was something emotional. Like I had arranged spring is here as this really, I had reharmed it and it was this tender, intimate, sad ballad. And I was realizing like this arrangement doesn't resonate right now because I'm, I'm not just sad. I'm, I'm really like frustrated and angry and upset at, at all that's happening in the world. And so um, anyway, I incorporated elements into the arrangement that, that sort of honored that anger as well. And Yeah, I mean now as, as venues are opening up and as the record is coming out and music's making its way out into the world. Yeah, I feel, I mean it, it sounds corny, but I truly feel like I've emerged from the other side of the pandemic as a, as a really different artist. Like I have a different artistic voice and I think that, that year and a half of introspection and and kind of grieving the loss of the record that I never got to make and may never make but also sort of honoring and and feeling really excited about this new record um is exciting and yeah venues are venues are opening things are happening um you know touring the record uh all over the country from like March through May and I'm super excited about that and it just feels it feels really enlivening and good and nourishing for the spirit to to have a bunch of shows planned and, you know, to be singing to packed venues.
1: For sure. So let's get to your roots. Let's go back to the beginnings. Talk to me a little bit about where you were born and raised and how these seeds of of music and more specifically jazz got into you to become who you are today.
2: Yeah, I, I grew up in Falls Church, Virginia, which is right outside of D.C. And my... My parents listened to most kind of music, really except jazz. Now they do because I'm a jazz musician. But when I was growing up, it was everything from classic rock to Debussy to show tunes. And my my mom is super into theater. And so from like musical theater and from fourth grade to about eighth grade, I was, I sort of thought I was going to pursue some sort of musical theater path. Um, And a good family friend of ours, their their son played tenor in this community big band, and the big band happened to be looking for a vocalist that year. And um, my mom, being uh, a wonderful <laughs> and classic stage mom, was like, "Any any any chance to sing is a good opportunity. You should audition." And I didn't know anything about jazz, and so twelve year old. I think eighth grade me walks into this jazz band audition and sings the national Anthem because I didn't know a single standard. Um, and they were like, honestly, you sound great. If you're going to join the band though, here are these like six records you need to start listening to. Um, and I, I mean, from that moment, I totally fell in love with it. Like I, uh, they gave me a couple Ds and of course, Sarah and Billy and a Carmen record. And um, I was kind of hooked. Hooked from there, and
1: yeah, and I guess to kind of take that a little further, the baton further. What was the first live show that really blew you away? That made you either just wowed you, or that made you think you wanted to do that with your life?
2: You know, it's so interesting. I this is funny, but no one's ever asked me that before. And the show that comes to mind—wow, it's so sweet to think about this. But the show that comes to mind is actually. Um, there was a, there, maybe there still is, there's a big chain of, um, of hotels, I think called like the Mandarin hotel group. Um, and they're like a really, really classy, fancy hotel. And they had in the DC area, some of the best, like cream of the crop DC jazz musicians would play there twice a week. And in high school, instead of hanging out with my friends, I would ask my parents to drive me to this hotel to hear a bunch of the local jazz musicians. Um and one of the first gigs I ever saw at that hotel, it wasn't even the vocalist, like the bass player the bass player was Tommy Cecil, um, who I'm not sure if you're familiar with, but totally, you know, a DC legend. And I just remember not being able to take my eyes or ears off of the base. And I was like, this has to be the rest of my life. Like, this is – I just, like, it felt so good. It swung so hard. I, like, couldn't stop smiling. And, you know, freshman year, me sitting there with my parents, you know, eating pretzels or whatever it was, was like, this is the coolest thing ever. I have to do this. with my whole life. Like, um, so, <laughs> embarrassingly enough, it was not like, you know, a show at the Vanguard. But – uh <laughs> yeah, but I loved it.
1: Yeah, no, and those are those, those are always so good to hear about local legends because there's all of those that exist. I even know in Kansas City there was a drummer named Tommy Ruscom that was one of the original guys that got me into it. He used to play he he was a legend here and he could have and I found this out later, he could have gone on tour with Stan Guest but he liked the the lower key life in Kansas City, wanted his quality of living to be good, and didn't want to fight for his rent in New York. So he stayed here. But he was one of those guys that used to be in the basement of this place called the Majestic, which Tom Pendergast was in charge of the whole Prohibition era in Kansas City back in the 30s when we were the pairs of the planes and really built the town up. But it was this place where Tom had this suite and they turned it into a steakhouse. So anyway, (laughs) during one of these breaks, There was a guy named Brahm, a pianist who still plays in town. He would go over with a whole bunch of wine bottles in his hand, and he would hold them out during a solo, and Tommy would play them. And it was just absolutely spectacular the way he did it, the way he could orchestrate the sound and hit the bottles just right. So, again, in in a long-winded way, it is so good to hear about these local people that hopefully people will find out about, because they're just as integral as anybody that was ever big that played this music.
2: Absolutely. Especially when influencing younger musicians too. I mean, if you're just first, you know, learning about jazz and sort of just first attending some live shows, you know, chances are you're not just gonna walk into the Blue Note as your first ever as your first ever experience as a jazz audience member, you know, and so it really is important for for the local scenes to be really strong.
1: I always remember a musician, I believe it was Gerald was it Gerald Cannon? I believe. Well, there was a musician that told me that the very first time that he ever went and saw a show in New York, he walked up the steps outside, and it was in such shock he just completely fainted and fell to the ground. Like his brain was so freaked out by the fact that he was in New York watching a show, and he mm-hmm. revived and came back, but he just fainted. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah, yeah, just like right to the ground because he was so excited. Oh. So yeah, but uh, so. <laughs> Um, so the, the Thelonious Monk competition, I'm always amazed at how many doors that opens up for people. And you were a semifinalist in 2015. How many doors opened up? How many things started really kind of formulating for you after that?
2: Funny enough, I, I don't think very many directly from that. I think my experience as an, observer, as an observer has been that a lot of doors open up for a lot of folks who place, you know, for second or third like, who really plays as finalists, but I was in that, like, you know, the crew of 11 that goes to L.A. and and performs and competes. But um honestly, I would say maybe the doors that opened up were internal more than external from that. I was the youngest one in the competition that year. Um I was still in college. I was a junior in college. And a mentor of mine from the D.C. area, Nina Cycli, was in – The competition that year as well she was also a semi-finalist and i think that was really that was really one of the first times where i stopped questioning like am i really am i really cut out to do this like you know there are so many other wonderful vocalists who are they you know they improvise better they sound better they have better banter with the audience that you know there was all that insecure college stuff was happening there and it was it was really one of the first times where I was like, wow, a mentor of mine and I, we're in the same competition right now. Like that's regardless of what happens, that, that was just such a, it was such a validating feeling, I think. Um, And maybe, maybe other doors that it's open is I just built community there. Like there's a, a few wonderful vocalists from that competition who I, who I still keep in touch with. One you know, I, I ended up recording um, my first record a year later in Australia with a pianist that I went to school with um, in Miami, but I was in town in Australia. And I remembered one of the one of the contestants lived in Sydney. And so I just sent him an Instagram message and was like, hey, I'm here recording a record. I have nothing to do for the next three days. Like, if you're around, like, you know, let me know if you're playing anywhere or whatever and so so I've, I've just kind of kept in touch with folks in a community oriented way there's another vocalist that I keep in touch with I, I just moved to New York um, really about sort of feels like about a month ago I guess and um, another vocalist from the competition lives uptown and you know just like we went for a walk and hung out it's just nice to have other vocalist community because you know we're, we don't really end up on the same gigs and so if we're going to build community together it's going to be um, you know, it's going to be on our own, on our own time, and reaching out to each other. Uh,
1: and, and this whole process of being a professional musician, with all the things that go into it, what do you like the best about it? What do you look forward to the most?
2: Honestly, I love, I love learning and singing other people's music. I maybe am in that smaller crew of vocalists who. You know, I often am the band leader. I often am, you know, the the one on stage who's interfacing with the audience and, you know, introducing the tunes and stuff like that. But I really, I am most at home and I find most joy in bringing other people's, like, compositions to life. Um, I really love actually just being another one of the instruments in the band, like one of my favorite projects. I've been involved with is like a rhythm section and saxophone and trumpet and me, and there are no lyrics or there are lyrics on three tunes, but the rest of the time I'm another one of the horns or a friend of mine, uh, from the Bay area where I lived for the last five years, wrote a suite based on the poetry and sort of lines from playwrights of his, of his grandmother and his dad and, um, you know i'm i'm the one that got to sing all of that poetry that he wrote music to um so i actually like that most i like i like singing other people's music maybe more than my own
1: <laughs> very cool so very simply put why do you love jazz
2: i love jazz because it's so it's so intimate and it's so raw i have this memory of sitting on the floor of my childhood bedroom when i was 13 listening to Duke Ellington's melancholia on YouTube when YouTube just started having like, you know, it was the way to actually also listen to music and not just watch videos. And I I was in such a I was in such a, an emotional 13-year-old mood, of course. And but I was really I was just really sad. I just, you know, as 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 only a 13-year-old could, I felt the weight of the world on my shoulders at that time. And I just remember listening to Duke, play Melancholia, and it was one of the first times in my life I really was like, someone who I've never met in my entire life knows exactly how I feel, because if I could have written music about how I felt in this moment, it would sound exactly like this, and I just felt, I just, I feel like by so, jazz more than any other genre makes me feel, like, really intimately seen, Um, yeah, I'll stop there, yeah.
1: Everyone out there has a perception of you, an idea of who they think you are, your family, your friends, your fans, but ultimately (laughs) you live your life. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are?
2: That's such a good question. I think I am, I think I have the spirit of a 70-year-old woman who loves nature. Like I, my happy place is, you know, when I was living in California and I could wake up in the morning and go for a run in the redwoods and come home and, you know, tend to the, the kale in my garden that I was growing and spend some time writing music and writing lyrics. And like, there's some sort of, there's some sort of like wise old hippie grandma energy that I, that's who I think I really am. (laughs)
1: Anybody out there that wants to get the other side, figure out about any live shows, anything related to your world, where's the best place to go?
2: My website, my Instagram, and my Bandcamp. There's a pre-order campaign happening right now on Bandcamp where folks can pre-order CDs as well as vinyl. Um, There's signed vinyl, there's limited edition, icebreaker, like a clear copy of the vinyl. Um, if you want to find out tour dates where I'm playing there, I have a bands in town account that's embedded into my website. You can find out about that there. And I'm always posting about it on Instagram and Facebook as well.
1: Wonderful, Danielle. Thank you for taking time out to talk about the album and your life and music. I appreciate it.
2: Thanks so much for having me. So great to chat with you.
0: Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and singers in New York, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Danielle for her time, energy, and cool. Find Neon Jazz archived interviews on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or subscribe to us at YouTube. For all things Neon Jazz, visit us at theneonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends.
1: Neon Jazz.